Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. Drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzie Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for an inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me for my work over at BatteryPower.com, where I had been the deputy site manager since 2018 and the minor league editor since 2015. More on why we're using past tense there shortly, but before we get into that, I want to introduce my co-host, longtime colleague, good buddy, and uh, soon to be promoted. Uh, you can follow him over on Twitter at BravesMILB, Garrett Spain. What is going on, my friend? Uh, nothing much. Just kind of enjoying the somewhat more relaxing offseason and uh, preparing for some changes around uh, battery power for sure. <laughs> Thanks a lot for that. Appreciate that. Yeah, we'll get into more of that later. Uh, for those who, you know, we have already listened to the Battery Power, you know, the flagship show, have looked on my Twitter feed or have looked, um, <laughs> have basically been around anywhere else other than this podcast, uh, there are some changes coming to for myself uh, as well as for Garrett and just the site in general. But before we kind of get into that, we do want to make sure we get one podcast off to kind of get you guys going into the off season. Uh, we had some minor league news uh, on a few fronts over the last couple of weeks. And I wanted to kind of make sure we kind of went over that before we kind of get into the kind of nuts and bolts, what's going to be going on for the show going forward. Uh, so first things first, Garrett, is we had a trade uh, and it actually involved like an actual minor leaguer and it involved another player that's reasonably interesting. So talk to us a little about, about this trade. Uh, the Braves did make a trade for Sam Hilliard, who was a kind of a, seemed like a kind of was more of a quad a player, a lot tooled up guy for the Rockies in exchange for your cousin uh, and, 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 and uh, prospect loved Dylan Spain, uh, relief prospect for the Braves. Uh, tell us a little bit, kind of your thoughts about the trade and just a- anything you want to share about it. Yeah. I think the strongest reaction here is uh, you got to feel bad for Dylan Spain because he is going to hell for a pitcher. Uh, he's yep. going to have to the Rockies and uh, good luck, uh, soldier, because that that's a tough place to pitch. It's a tough system to pitch in. So it, but I think, you know, he's a legitimate arm. But at the same time, I think anytime you can swing an A ball reliever for a, a guy with Hilliard has a lot of talent and there's 
it's a very low probability there, but it's a lottery ticket. And anytime you can swing kind of a very expendable relief piece for a lottery ticket like that, I mean, it's kind of worth it. You might as well take a shot. If it doesn't work out, I don't think it, I don't think either side ten years is gonna, in ten years is going to look back and even remember this trade. It's just not that big of a deal. But I do like the idea of just kind of getting a guy that you see what happens with him. There's a lot of power there, a lot of speed there. Those guys are kind of fun to watch. Yeah, and you know it's funny. I think that in many ways this deal was the one that ultimately led to. The, the, the loss from the roster of Guillermo Heredia, which we're going to get to the Rule 5 portion here in a little bit. I mean, in, in Hilliard, you just have a guy who, right now, he doesn't have enough bat to play every day. He just doesn't. Uh, but he can play all three outfield positions. He can run. He has power. And you kind of feel better about having that as your outfield bench option, as opposed to a guy like Heredia, who, I mean, look, he's the king of vibes. He's, you know, like a great mascot, but you're never happy to see him in a game unless it's only as a defensive replacement. And even then it's not particularly exciting. Um, now in, in Dylan Spain's case, like, you know, Spain is an interesting arm. He has had some success as a reliever. They did try to start him a couple times, which I will say that wasn't a, uh, a resounding success. And he certainly has some issues with command, but to get a guy that actually benefits your roster down the line as like a 10th round guy that you signed after seeing him in an open tryout, uh, hadn't played college ball in a year and you just, you, you take a flyer on him for very little money and you end up to flip him for an actual asset for your roster. Like you, you take that 10 times out of 10 without question. So again, you know, like, you know, happy trails to Dylan Spain. Garrett's get find uh, another way for him to get his coveted Spain uh, Atlanta Braves Jersey without having to do the custom order business. So, but uh, that was pretty much the only uh, trade that involved prospects. The Braves did have done some uh, some cash deals, or well, one in particular today where they traded for ten- Dennis Santana, who's an interesting relief arm. But all they did is give up money for that. Uh, we did get to see Colby Allard return to the the, the forty man, uh, which is was an interesting move. But again, that was more of a that was more of a move to get rid of Jake Odorizzi's money, and not necessarily one that impacts the minor league side too much, unless he comes back and ends up getting an option down at some point to the minor leagues, in which case that's going to be more kind of in our purview. But those are kind of the moves that have gone on so far. We also had the Rookie of the Year vote, Garrett, and this was spicy because, you know, I've talk, talked about it a bunch on the flagship show. You and I have talked about it. We've talked about it in the chat as to kind of, you know, who, who was better between the two. And, you know, I've, I've kind of certainly shared my thoughts on it. Uh, I feel like it was very, very close. I didn't have strong feelings either way, to be perfectly honest. Kind of what were your thoughts on, you know, what happened with the, the rookie of the year? Obviously, Michael Harris did end up winning it over Spencer Strider. If it had been anyone else other than those two, it would have been like catastrophically wrong. But between those two guys, they, they both had really, really good cases. Yeah, for me, I think they're fairly even in terms of just their overall, if you look at them from a production standpoint, from how they played this year, they're fairly even. You know, from the day Michael Harris stepped on the field, he was really arguably the best outfielder in the National League. He was fantastic. Spencer Strider for the last few months of the season was one of the better pitchers in the whole ma- in the entire major leagues. Both of those guys performed extremely well, and both of those guys had a very strong case. For me, I would say I probably would have gone Strider. And I think from a historic perspective, when you look at what Strider did, it was more abnormal. Where Harris was very good. He was a good hitter. He he should have been a gold glove finalist, had a case to win it there. Yeah, he should have. The final. I, I, 
that I don't agree with, but he should have at least been a finalist there. He was fantastic on both sides of the ball. But historically speaking, he's we've seen rookies come in and play that well. It doesn't happen often, but every few years we see a guy that does that. Strider is doing thing is doing things from a strikeout perspective, from just an overall performance perspective that guys haven't done ever or haven't done in 30 years type things. And those type that sort of historic type production from a rookie. I would have liked to have seen that rewarded. We saw some other different voting uh, give it to Strider. I think most of the voting other than the um, baseball writers did give it to Strider. And I personally would have given it to Strider, but I also think a lot of it was Strider was hurt to end. I think Strider being hurt to end the season was ultimately what cost him the award. I think if he had been healthy, he would have won it. Um, And so, you know, you kind of look in the last couple of series where the Braves flipped and passed the Mets. Strider wasn't there, and I do think that hurt him. But I still would have given it to him. But overall, I don't think there was a bad answer. I think Harris winning it, it's fully deserved. He was fantastic. He was more than a competent rookie of the year. Um, But I would have gone Strider personally. Yeah, it's a... Funny thing, right? Because we've seen position players very much get the kind of the bias of the sports writers uh, in terms of these types of awards in that, like, it almost feels like you have to be so awesome as a pitcher or the class has to be so bad for a pitcher to win it, uh, that they just think that there's, that there's such a bias towards um, giving it to everyday players. Now, I don't think that's necessarily what happened here. Uh, I think you're right that Look, if Strider was continuing to do what he was doing through the month of October and was healthy, he was going to be in the Cy Young conversation. I don't think he would have like gotten like he he would have gotten real votes there just because the numbers were obscene, right? Um, and not being able to put up that overall production, then all of a sudden you can start looking at you know like WAR leaderboards and stuff like that in terms of overall production, and it, it made that makes a stronger case for Harris. And there's a lot of good reasons to like Michael Harris. I mean, like his promotion to the team coincided with the Braves season turning around and he was so important for vast swaths of the season, uh, offensively, defensively, just all around, just was a, a top notch producer. So like that, don't take that as I feel like that Harris doesn't deserve it at the end of the day, because Strider was hurt and that overall production, I probably would have voted for Harris uh, but I wouldn't have felt awesome about it, right? Uh, I felt like it was a really close thing. I think that if Strider had finished out the season, I would have voted for him. Again, this is assuming that I would have had a vote. Um, but it was really, really close. And I think there's a good argument for Strider, too, in terms of that that kind of that history-making, like, rookie performance. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't think that either one of those guys winning is a knock on the other one. I think they both did such special things and such important things for the team that at the end of the day, like, Everyone feels good about where both of those guys are, regardless of how the, who got the hardware. And like even Mike in his, you know, when he was, you know, accepting the award, he was like, "Hey, you know, honestly, I thought it was going to go to Spencer." You know what I mean? Like I don't think there's any like weirdness about it. I think that there's really good cases for both, and I think that's why it's kind of a fun conversation to have after even after the fact. And at the end of the day, Michael Harris was is your was your National League Rookie of the Year, uh, a very deserving. Again, if he had been in almost almost any other rookie class that he would have won this running away. Same thing with Spencer. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, just, just two really top-notch rookies coming out for the Braves. Uh, and somehow 
Spencer got left off one ballot by an L.A. writer who decided to put Alexis Diaz as the second as a second place vote. And uh, I have strong, strong feelings about putting that sort of ballot out there. But at the end of the day, it didn't really matter. Uh, the, mo- the, the I think two thirds of the first place votes end up going to Mike. Uh, and congrats to him. We, we love Mike here. We love Spencer here. Big, big fans overall. And we're happy to see both of them succeeding. Uh, one little more quick section before we go to the break here. And that's on the Arizona Fall League, which did just wrap up. We had the Arizona Fall League. We had the Arizona Fall League All-Star Game. Uh, the the Braves squad uh, did not take part in the championship, unfortunately. So uh, we have to kind of reflect a little bit on what was going on in the Arizona Fall League kind of season-wide and all that. So t- and. Uh, before we kind of get into our thoughts on it here, I want to make sure that all of our listeners understand that you should be going over to BatteryPower.com, and each week Garrett has been cranking out these Arizona Fall League recaps, kind of weekly updates as to what's going on. Those are, if you really want to know what's going on with prospects in in the AFL, those are must-read columns because he kind of goes through weekly stats on each guy as to what's going on, who's been doing well, who hasn't. Who isn't? Uh, there's certainly been uh, a bit of both coming out of Braves prospects. Uh, some guys have performed well. Uh, one in particular performed much better than I thought he was going to. Uh, and then some others have not performed particularly well. But I'm going to let you guys read that to get caught up. But I'm also going to let Garrett share his thoughts because he's really been digging in on the AFL this year. So, Garrett, I'm uh, the floor is yours. Talk to us a little bit what's going on in the AFL. Yeah, there wasn't really a whole lot to talk about on the pitching side. They didn't really send any guy that we were particularly high on. The best player from their pitching side was Austin Smith, who had one game where he was very bad. And other than that, he was fantastic. Um, You know, he's an upper 90s fastball guy, throws a good slider. That's a real arm there. He struggled some with his command this year, got hit a little bit. But he's he's a guy that can strike out a lot of guys. He's an interesting arm in terms of a relief prospect that could make some noise in the next couple of years. Uh, but the guys that did it really in the Arizona Fall League were on the offensive side in Justin Henry Malloy and Cal Conley. Now, Malloy was a guy that I think we expected to do well. He's a guy that has a great approach. He hits the ball hard consistently. He's not a big power hitter, and that really showed this fall. He didn't hit for a ton of power all fall. He hit a home run in his final game, which really boosted his overall numbers a lot. And I think he finished with somewhere around an 864 OPS for this fall. It, it was a great fall for He hit very well, drew a ton of walks, hit consistently, hit over 300. And a guy that, you know, when you talk about Malloy, you're looking at a player where we've talked about this before in the Braves don't really value AAA development much. And so when you see a guy like Malloy who got promoted to AAA at the end of the year, that's kind of an indication where AAA for the Braves is more of a more of an extended bench where those are guys that they're thinking about calling up, not guys that they're necessarily developing a hundred percent. And when you see a guy like Malloy get called up in that position, and as you see a guy go to the Arizona fall league, which with a bunch of top prospects, he's an all-star there. He performs very well. That's a guy that you now look at and say at some point next year, that's a player that the Braves could feature at the major league level. And he's going to be one of those guys that they look at in the outfield. If a guy goes down with injury or whatever, he's a guy that can play in the outfield and hit and at the very least put up competitive at bats. And that's a guy that he helped himself a lot with the way he performed this fall and how good he looked. And he's a guy that I think will get a lot of time next spring. Um, A guy that won't get a lot of time next spring, Cal Conley. He did very well. I, I had a lot of questions about him. In terms of we've talked about his approach, but he really, I mean, he was fantastic. Uh, had a li- really 
the he earned he got more ended up getting more playing time than Malloy for most of the season was performing better than Malloy ended up hitting leadoff for the Scottsdale Scorpions who ended up missing the playoffs but he was great I think he had a couple games towards the end there where he seemed to be doing a little too much trying to he was really aggressive early in the count seemed like he was trying to do a little too much make it kind of final mark but and so his last couple of games he did poorly and it brought his OPS down you know we're looking at small samples and so a couple of bad games there were enough to bring his OPS down by like 40 points but until those games he had an OPS over 900 and he was just fantastic. Uh, he's a guy that, given that performance, I would not be entirely surprised if he gets to double A next year, like very early on the season, if not starting there. Uh, you don't want to read too much in the fall league, but that was approach wise. I think that's the best we've seen him um, at the minor league level. He was hitting the ball hard consistently. The, the defense for him is a work in progress, but he was okay enough in terms of especially towards the end he struggled a little bit at the beginning but towards the end he made some good plays at shortstop uh, was their full-time starting shortstop really he was a great player for them this fall and I think in a lot of ways a guy like this goes to that league and you kind of we know about him we watch him but we don't dig into him as much but you watch a guy like that every day and you see little things that they do that you like the way that you know the way that he runs the bases and the way that he kind of competes on the field, those are things that you like about Conley. I, and I think that when he is within himself, when he approaches the game, looking to get on base more often and just have more line drive contact, he's a guy that he has enough power that he can hit a lot of doubles, hit a lot of triples, will run into some home runs. And can hit consistently. I think when he gets too home run happy, you see times where he strikes out too much and really struggles. But the way he approached the game this fall was something that I was impressed with. And I hope he continues that going into next year. Yeah, I mean, the numbers were great for Conley coming out of the AFL. Uh, I certainly have my concerns. I, I, you know, Carlos Calazzo, you know, friend of the podcast, former uh, battery power slash talking shop writer and you know all around is great dude over there at baseball america did a chat today and he talked a bit about conley uh you know and the fact that you know conley and shoemaker relatively close in terms of their overall prospect value right now which is you know interesting enough by itself uh not that surprising considering you know what shoemaker's fall has been but at the end of the day i just i have real questions about that approach i don't think that he's I think he's capable of making really good plays at shortstop. I also think he's capable of making really boneheaded plays at shortstop, particularly the decisions and like the kinds of throws he tries to make. Uh, I don't know how much of that is fixable uh, in a lot of ways. You know, did that that kind of the decision making in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of forcing things on both sides of the ball, like you know forcing throws he shouldn't try to make, uh, trying to force the issue in the bats uh, early and turning on pitches that he shouldn't be. Uh, there's like some pitch recognition things, particularly from the left side, that I have concerns about. But it's hard to argue with just you know a strong performance down in the AFL is at least part of the case that at least have me change my mind on a guy. Uh, and Con- Conley is going to be a part of that conversation. He's going to, he's going to, I'm sure he'll go to big league camp for some amount of time and, you know, we'll see what happens there, but he's certainly more interesting now than he was before the AFL started because he had stretches this past season where he was really good, but there's also such stretches where he was like nigh unplayable, where he just was hacking and, you know, striking out a ton and wasn't doing much of anything. Uh, Malloy, I mean, we've talked a lot about Malloy at this point. Uh, he's definitely right now hit over power, which is kind of weird because it seems like he, ha- he has a ton of strength. 
I kind of wish he would turn on pitches more, but he's, you know, really happy taking walks and, you know, just kind of working his approach the way that he wants to. Uh, there's a lot to like there. Uh, defense is not one of those things that you'd like, I would say. I am glad they moved him off third base. I'm, you know, in left field, you're not getting a gold glover out there, but at the very least it's a, a easier place to hide uh, some def- defensive deficiencies. Uh, and, you know, Austin Smith, I, you know, it's a relief arm that I like. I'm a little bit surprised that guys like Alan Winans didn't have better uh, Arizona Fall Leagues. Uh, Winans had a pretty good, you know, when he was healthy and pl- playing, he was pretty good in double A and he just did not perform particularly well. So, again, a little bit disappointing that the rest of the guys that the Braves set didn't do better than that. But it was nice to see some of the Braves prospects performing well down there, even if at the end of the day it wasn't one of those big breakout performances like we see in the Arizona Fall League every once in a while. Now, before we get into the big part of the show, which is breaking down what happened with the Rule 5 protections today and, you know, talking about who's staying, who could be going, and all of that, we're going to take a quick break to listen to our word from our sponsors. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Garrett, it is time to talk Rule 5 protections. Uh, this is funny because you and I talked a bit, and you put the, the preview together uh, for us over at Battery Power about who we thought was going to be protected, who like was possible, and then the like it's not going to happen list. And we debated about this a lot, and we somehow missed that Victor Vodnik uh, was Rule 5 eligible. I'm not really sure how that happened, but it ended up working out fine because uh, between the two of us, we did actually predict all three, three for three, all three guys who were going that got protected by the Braves today. Uh, they had to make some 40-man roster moves to do it. They took uh, Silvino Bracco, sadly, Guillermo Heredia, and William Woods, which was a surprise to me, um, and to make three spots on the 40-man roster. And they made those spots for Rodri Munoz, Braden Shoemake, which I know why they did it. I'm less... I'm not super happy with the rationale, but I understand it. And then Darius Fines, who I think we both agree was the guy who we were almost certain was going to be the the, the biggest lock of the three. Uh, the, all three of those guys have been added to the 40-man roster, so they cannot be selected in the Rule 5 draft. So before we're going to get into who's now unprotected and could be selected, let's talk about those three guys and those moves. Um, and we can touch on a little bit of William Woods there, too. So talk, talk to me a little bit about your thoughts on the guys they've protected, you know, why you think they got protected, any, any thoughts you want to share? Yeah, Vines was pretty obvious. Um, that's a nearly MLB-ready starter, and I think that he would have been selected pretty quickly. That's a guy that you could plug into a major league rotation right now or plug into a bullpen and say, he's going to do fine. He has great off-speed stuff. I mean, when you look at 
a slider changeup combo. He's one, I mean, off the top of my head, I really can't think of anybody who has, in terms of those two specific pitches, a better combination of those pitches other than Adam Meyer, who they just drafted. We haven't seen him in action yet. It's just great off-speed stuff. Uh, the fastball, we do have questions about it. He struggles on anything that he leaves in the zone. It gets hit hard, but his command improved towards the end of the year. He avoided more of that hard contact, and when he gets ahead in the count, it's it's very hard to hit either the slider or the changeup. He does, does a great job with both of those pitches. Um, that's a major league arm. Roderick Munoz is the guy that's further away in terms of – I don't. He's got very little chance to make the major leagues next year. If it did, if he did, it would be a major emergency situation. He just he needs a lot of development. I think they're going to try him as a starter for now. I don't know if he sticks in that role long term, but for now he would probably stick as a starter and will be at Double A to start next year. But he's a guy. He throws in the upper nineties. He can throw a good slider. Those are the guys that get picked in the Rule 5 draft, and he's a guy that I think would get picked. Though, and someone would try to stash him at the back of their bullpen, but I don't think that he's a guy that we should be holding our breath for him to come to the major league level because he's going to take some time. But he's, a most, he's probably the most exciting arm here in terms of there's a real ceiling there with his fastball. It's a very good fastball, one of the better ones in the system, and it's going to be interesting to watch his development because he's in a similar situation to... Woods, Alan Ron Hell, in terms of guys that they put him on the 40 man roster early and it that speeds up a guy's timeline and he has to perform to keep that spot and we'll kind of see how he does going forward. Now, I would say Shoemake is the most interesting one here because I, I personally don't see why a team would pick him. Uh, yes, he is a good defender. He's a guy that you could stash on your you know, on your roster as a backup shortstop, but I just don't see anything else from him. I don't see him as a guy that's ever going to hit. I don't see him as a guy that's going to hit for power, and I don't see why a team would look at that and go, yeah, I have to have that in the Rule 5 draft. You know, if you look at it, he's made a lot of swing changes, and maybe a team thinks that he was hurt all year last year. Maybe he's better than that, but I just don't. I personally don't see a reason why you would necessarily need to protect him that badly, though I think maybe the Braves situation where they don't really have a good shortstop right now. You know, they haven't signed anybody. They haven't gone out and gotten anybody. And maybe you look at that and you say, we can't just let shortstops walk away like that. But I just, if you're looking at the guys they have, Arcia, Grissom, Shoemake, he's the third on that list by a fairly wide margin. And it would take an emergency for him to be, at the major league level next year. And I just don't see wasting a roster spot on that guy. I would not lose sleep if they lost him in the rule five draft, but the Braves, for whatever reason, think of it. Maybe it's even just a optics thing where you don't want to just let a first round pick go. But for me, I don't necessarily understand keeping him. Um, Woods. I mean, Woods is an exciting arm, but he's been consistently hurt. And this could also point to, you know, we'll talk about Bodnick and him not being protected, where Woods, the arm is there, but he doesn't necessarily miss a ton of bats. And he looked very bad in the Arizona Fall League, and he just, he can't stay healthy. And when he does get hurt, it seems like it's 
he's out and then he's out for three weeks and you're going, where is he? And then he comes back and then he gets hurt again. And, you know, he'll pitch a few weeks and get hurt again. And he can just never stay healthy. And it may be a point where they're thinking, why keep stashing this guy if he's just going to stay hurt? And I, maybe he gets picked up in waivers. There's a good shot that he doesn't get picked up in waivers at all. And it, and the Braves can just kind of bring him up back on a minor league salary at this point because he just hasn't done well enough to me to justify a 40-man spot. Yeah, I'll touch on my thoughts here on Woods uh, before I kind of get to the the guys that they added. It's that Woods is the kind of guy that, though, that a bad team will claim either through waivers or in the Rule 5 just because on the chance that they could turn out to be good, right? Uh, like, the, that Woods is the kind of arm that gets picked in the Rule 5. Uh, for those who, like, maybe not aware of what's going on in the Rule 5 generally, uh, it's for guys who have been in the minor leagues, if they were draft, basically if they were college draftees, and it's more complicated than this, but this is generally how it shakes out. If you were a college draftee and you've been in the minor leagues four years, then you're Rule 5 eligible. Or if you were a high school draftee and you've been in the minor leagues for five years, you're, you become Rule 5 eligible. Um, in Wood's case, you know, a little bit of an older guy, already had to protect him once, constantly hurt. I understand why you don't want to have a guy like that eating out a 40-man spot no matter what. I'm just not sure if this is where I would have – like, he, he, I would have made other cuts elsewhere first, if that makes any sense. Um, I just think that there is there is still some upside with him. Uh, we don't know every detail. We don't know what his current health situation is, too. Maybe the, the Braves know something about his medicals, and they think that, you know, if either, you know, he's not worth, you know, spending that 40-man spot on right now, or that they know something where, like, he's not going to get picked uh, because of something going on with his medicals. So a lot of things could be in play there. In terms of the guys that they added, Darius Fines is a pretty easy one. The off-speed stuff is really, really good. And more importantly, he's like he's really close. He you know, pitched his brains out at Mississippi, and then he got the Gwinnett. Had a couple so-so games at Gwinnett, but largely was good. You know, to figure out a lot of his issues. It seems like he understands where he needs to be placing that fastball for it to do what it needs to do. He, he, you know, again, he's not a guy that, you know, you know, eats off that fastball and does a lot of damage with it. It's off the changeup and it's off the it's off the, the slider and the, the fastball is kind of there almost to keep people honest as opposed to like, as opposed to what a lot of pitchers do with, with a changeup is that you have a changeup just to kind of keep folks off of your fastball. It's a little bit, it's, it's almost inverse for him. And, you know, the command got better. He's just been really, really good. Easy decision to add him. Shoemaker, I, I understand it in the sense that there are folks in the Braves organization that still like him They're They just don't have a lot of position prospects, period. Uh, let alone at shortstop that they feel particularly great about. Um, Grissom's obviously not a prospect anymore. They certainly feel better about Grissom than they do Shoemake, if for no other reason that when they needed an infielder <laughs> this year, they promoted Grissom over Shoemake. But he also has like that that knee injury, those constant injuries. I, I, I do wonder, like you, if he would have gotten picked. But I think that the Braves are just going to be rather better be safe than sorry, especially since it's the lack of position player talent in the system that they're just going to hold on to him. I don't think this is something that's like a hard and fast, you know, keep him around forever type of thing. I think that, I think that he's, it's not like a fate accompli that he is going to be the, the next shortstop for the Atlanta Braves or anything like that. But I do think they want to kind of keep him around for a little while longer, just in case that they really need him because the, again, they just, the, the shortstop situation for the Braves is an unsettled one. Um, even though I, just again, the hit tool hasn't really has re- almost regressed since he became a pro. The, the power is very 
if he, the one thing that we know now that we weren't sure about, the one thing that we were concerned about was that he wasn't going to be a shortstop. Uh, but I mean, the one thing that he can do is field and play shortstop. We know that, and we think that he will play the position. So that might have gone into the Braves' decision making. Rodri Munoz, I actually thought was a pretty close, um, close to a lock type situation. I think that you know he hasn't played a ton above high A, and I get that. But the, again, a bad team would have taken that arm and put them in their bullpen in the hopes that you know while he can, he's working on stuff and he can turn into a starter for them long-term. They're just so cheap, these picks, to, to make, that I think that with as live as an arm as Munoz is, that they would have snatched him up. So it was, again, it, it was almost something they had to do to add him to keep him from being picked. I think he was going to get picked regardless, and the Braves like him. He's very, very talented. Whether you think he's going to end up as a bullpen arm or as a starter, uh, that's kind of an arm you don't necessarily just walk away without a little bit of a fight. Uh, so now let's get into the, who's unprotected because we actually had some interesting arms here. Uh, and again, they're mostly arms. There's not any position player that we're super concerned about. That, that I guess there's a chance that uh, teams needing a pinch runner or, you know, are really, really hurting for depth on their roster or something. They could grab one of the position players the Braves have uh, available in the, in the, in the rule five, but I don't think that's going to happen. So talk to me a little bit about kind of really mostly the arms, if any other notables regarding the rule five, uh, before we let folks go. Yeah, you know, on the position player side, really the guys that you're looking at would be like Cody Milligan, Brandon Mesquita. I think that Mesquita is just too far from the major level for anybody to eat, to stash him. Um, Milligan is a guy that he's a great defender. We like Milligan. He's a good hitter. He just, you know, bottom of the scale power. That's a guy that teams are looking for power, and I don't know if the team is willing to stash that guy at the lower levels, because he didn't do particularly well at AA this year. Um, you know, Milligan, I think, would be the most likely in terms of, that is a guy that has, with his defense and with his speed, he has some value off the bench. I just don't see it. I think the guy that is the most likely to be taken out of anybody is Victor Vodnik, and I'm a little surprised they didn't protect him. I mean, this is a guy that we've seen him hit triple digits. He has a good slider. He had some success at AAA this year, so he's fairly close to the major league level where you could legitimately see him contributing to the major league level next year, even to a good team. But for the reason the Braves just don't see it, whether, and, you know, we talked about with Woods, that's a guy that's been injured a lot. And the Braves may know something medically that we just don't have access to where they look at that guy and say, we don't necessarily want that guy. We don't worry too much about losing that guy um, but for me that's a guy that I look at and say I would have protected him over a guy like you know the Braves have a guy like Seth Elledge on the 40-man roster which I would have protected Bodnick over Elledge but you know that's decisions that have to be made and for whatever reason they did not think that Bodnick was worth that and it's kind of it's that's probably your one of your that's probably your top relief prospect right now. And to see him just kind of, he's at risk of just walking away, which is not a position you necessarily want to be in. But again, relief prospects are kind of relievers. We know in general are volatile and teams don't value them much. And you see guys like Indigo Diaz and Justin Yeager are also being left unprotected. Diaz, I think, was a guy last year that if you would have asked us, we would have said, oh, 100%, he's going to get protected. He's been fantastic. Well, he wasn't this year. The command wasn't there. The command for Jaeger wasn't there. And those are guys that the Braves are just rightfully, I think that those guys are guys that they're willing to let walk if a team decides they want them. Um, 
Jaeger has a great fastball, but I just the command doesn't look like it's ever going to be there for him. Tiaz was fantastic last year. He was good towards the end of the year this year, but the fastball isn't great. The slider isn't great. There are good pitches. He's a guy that could be a middle reliever, but I don't know if it's necessarily a situation where how much do you value that guy over a guy like Seth Elledge? I mean, their value are probably pretty similar, and a guy like Elledge is closer to the major league level. He's a guy that you could see succeeding with the team next year, and I just think the developments we saw from Diaz, really the regression we saw from Diaz and the lack of command progression with Jaeger, I'm willing to let those guys walk, but I think Vodnik is the one that Vodnik is the one I'm worried about just because that is a real legitimate late inning talent. Yeah, I mean, in the case of like Diaz and Jaeger, I think you're right that, you know, those guys are like they're they're live arms, but they're far enough away that you know, maybe the Braves are just banking that, like, you know, look, that we, we, it's not that we don't like these arms. It's more that we think these guys are far enough away that a team isn't going to want to put them on their major league roster, which is what has to happen. They have to be held on the tw- on the on the active roster throughout the whole year. If they don't, if they aren't held there, then they need to be, they have to be offered back to the team that they were drafted from. So it's one of those situations where it's just kind of a game. And the Braves have generally not had had their pockets picked too much in the Rule 5 draft. They generally can identify which guys are going to get picked and which guys they aren't. Now, there's certainly been some surprises from us uh, in the past where they've protected guys like Alan Ron Hell is a good example. It's a guy that we just would never would imagine in a million years that they would feel like they were going to protect and they end up protecting him anyway. Vodnik's an interesting case, though, because it's not like a one-off situation with injuries with him. It's kind of just been a constant thing. You know, he's had you know oblique issues and back issues and you know, miss some time in Rome. It just, it's been constant. He's a, he's a small guy and he throws hard and he throws violently. And it, for whatever reason, I mean, they rightfully have seemingly abandoned his, the plan to make him a starter. And again, the arm talent is very real, but I think that there is very much a lot of with this guy just cannot stay healthy. And if he can't stay on the field, then why are we using a 40 man spot on him? Um, he is certainly a guy that, you know, you should circle as a guy that could get picked in this rule five draft. But again, I would see him more as a target for a team that's not good. And, you know, that doesn't have any bad playoff aspirations that could go, Hey, maybe we can get this guy for nothing. Um, and if he's hurt constantly and we need the spot, then we can always offer him back to the Braves. Uh, I don't think that, you know, there's any of these guys are a lock to just be gone from the Braves forever after the rule five draft. But I think you are right in the sense that Vodnik's the one guy that seems like the most likely that would get picked. And ultimately, it comes down to, you know, how healthy he is as to whether or not a team's going to, you know, pull the trigger on that. And if it ends up, he ends up lasting the whole year with that team, right? Because if he's, you know, if he is hurt, if he, if he, for whatever reason, he can't get it done, then the Braves have a chance to bring him back for very little money. So overall, uh, we, again, we predicted the, the guys that we, that we predicted the three guys that were going to get added to the 40 man roster. And that's what ended up happening. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how this rule five draft. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the rule five draft before we kind of get to this last section and we let folks go? No, I mean, I think, I think for the Braves, I really don't expect them to take anybody in the rule five draft. I could see them losing Bodnick, but I don't necessarily, I think they protected the right guys overall. Um, I do see the reason to protect Shoemake and, you know, at most, I think they might lose Vodnik, but I don't really think, I don't really think they have, given the position they're in, I don't really think they're in a position to take a flyer on a guy 
that a team another team just doesn't want. Um, and so you're not going to see them. I don't see them taking the Rule 5 guy at all, though I could see them losing Bob Pink. Yeah, I think there's a chance that the, the, the all their needs are just going to be met. And again, like Rule 5 draft picks are fun, but at the end of the day, like they have to have the Rob 40-man spot, the spots available. Are they actually going to have those available and all that stuff? And that's kind of getting further down the road than we need to really kind of think about, and especially for a team that's right in the middle of their contending window. Uh, if they have someone in mind, but, you know, again, they're they're not picking towards the top of that of the, the Rule 5 either, so it's likely that the guys they would really like aren't going to even be available to them. So, well, I guess this is kind of the part of the show that I'm frankly dreading. Um, again, we alluded to this at the top of the show. Uh, and, again, if you've listened to the flagship show or if you've been following along on Twitter or anything like that, uh, at the end of November, my time at Battery Power is coming to an end. Uh, it is very amicable. You know, Chris has been a fantastic boss. I've loved podcasting with, you know, Brad and Garrett and Scott and everyone. I've loved writing with the entire masthead. I mean, this is my. I, I started writing here in 2015, and I have loved every single minute of it, and I've been thankful for every single minute of it. You know, and you know, Garrett and I have been grinding together a long time. Uh, on the minor league side, and I will miss that collaboration with Garrett and Garav and Matt and, you know, just, you know, and now Austin and Wayne and, you know, it's it. I will miss that a lot. Uh, but I did take the site expert position over at Tomahawk Take, uh, where I'm essentially running the site now, and that has been a lot of fun as well. Really excited, excited to work with a new, with a new group. And, you know, we'll hopefully get that site rolling again. And the goal is to have two good Brave sites out there. I think in the world of battery power, I think it's the best Brave site on the Internet. And hopefully we can get Tomahawk to be, to be in that conversation. And then we can laugh about this uh, in years to come about, you know, how we we got two sites to where they where they need to be. And uh, what that means for the show is that uh, I am taking the Road to Atlanta branding with me. Uh, I have no immediate plans to relaunch a podcast of my own until I can kind of get things more settled down over at Fansided. I don't know what the exact plans are in terms of what Garrett's wanting to do with the podcast. I know that he's kind of getting his feet in the room. Uh, again, I alluded to his promotion. Uh, it sounds like, you know, barring the unforeseen is that Garrett will be taking over overseeing the minor league operations from me uh, at the end of the month. So, you know, if you have any, hatred or questions or concerns or, you know, bad traded ideas or bad prospect takes, make sure you send them Garrett's way because he is going to be the one that's going to be uh, handling the and overseeing the minor league coverage of battery power. And I'm thrilled for him. Uh, he has earned it. He has been, again, not quite as long as me, but very, very close here at battery power. And I feel like I'm leaving the site's minor league coverage in great hands with Garrett. And, you know, I, I look forward to, you know, once I leave and things sort of settle down, uh, seeing a minor league show showing up on the podcast feed, you know, and taking it in Garrett's own directions and whoever else is on the staff at that point helping out. There's a, there's some unknowns here in the future in terms of what everything's going to look like. But I know that Chris is going to shepherd the site through this change very you know easily. He's just he's he's a pro's pro and Garrett's one of the absolute best in the business. So. Uh, I hadn't told this particular audience, and I am frankly, you know, it's hard for me to even talk about because as excited as I am for the opportunity, I am, it is very bittersweet. I am sad to go, 
But I want to take this moment now to thank each and every one of our listeners from those who started when we first kind of launched Road to Atlanta as our own little adventure with Garav Garrett and I. Uh, and then we integrated it into the Talking Chop slash Battery Power coverage, into the feed. You know, all of you listeners and those who have followed along, between those who have yelled at me on Twitter for reasons I don't understand, to the supportive words, to those who have never once spoken a word to me. Uh, or said anything of any kind, but have just been listening to each and every episode uh, or even episodes here and there. All that support has meant the world to me. It's given me opportunities I can't even imagine. I couldn't have imagined just even a few years ago, and it's because of all of you. Uh, And I'm incredibly grateful for that. I'm incredibly grateful for my time at Battery Power. I want to thank each and every one of you again. Just it's been a hell of a ride. I'm frankly still kind of in shock that things are changing but I know that battery power is going to continue to be a great site to go to. Hopefully Tomahawk take can just begin to be in that stratosphere in terms of, you know, how awesome the site is and how the staff is. So thanks again to each and every one of you, but this is Eric signing off for the last time. So until next time, we'll see you on the road. <laughs>